Good morning. It's great to see even more and more of you showing up here on Sunday morning on this almost uh, March, last day of February anyway. Great to see you also online. Welcome to our service this morning. We are in the book of Genesis where we have been for probably since the beginning of the year in a series titled The Way of Blessing on this character named Jacob. Uh, who's one of the major, you know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the three uh, men who end up getting their name attached to the God of Israel in the Old Testament. Where did we start for a quick recap? We started this series all the way back in the fall of last year in a series titled Rise and Fall, the first 11 chapters, which was essentially about humanity's inability, you might say, to run their own lives or run the world, right? Came to a crashing halt twice in the first 11 chapters of Genesis. But then we started the beginning of the year in a a series called The Way Forward in the Life of Abraham. And The Way Forward is another way of talking about the life of faith. God said, listen, I'm not going to change the broken world yet. That comes later, right, at the end of time. But I'm going to give you, all those who want to, are open to a relationship with God, I'm going to give you a new way to make your way in the world with me. It's called the way of faith. That's what we saw we introduced in the life of Abraham. The Bible gives just a little bit of press to Abraham's son Isaac. And then it moves on to this character named Jacob, who we saw his birth In Genesis 25, he is a major character all the way until the end of Genesis. He dies in Genesis chapter 50. There's a lot here for us to learn. We'll do our best as we look at his life and learn about what it means to experience God's blessing. A couple things about Jacob's life here in our second installment. Jacob's life, maybe this is true for you and me, it functions on two fundamental levels. Jacob's whole life. A lot of said this covered in the Bible about his life. Functions on two levels. One, his conflicts with people. In fact, Jacob is in conflict with almost everybody. Certainly his immediate family. We saw that. We'll see a little bit more today with his immediate family. But almost everybody that Jacob encounters, he is in conflict with. He functions on two levels. His conflicts with people and his encounters with God. His conflicts with people and his encounters with God. His encounters with God, we'll look at, there's two major ones. We'll look at one today and one in a couple of weeks. His, counter, his encounters with God um, catch him by surprise and leave him a changed person. Okay? Catch him by surprise and leave him a changed person. Hopefully that's true for you and me as we look, about, look through this uh, story this morning. Let me say something about encounters with God. It's not enough for us to um, believe in God. I hope you believe in God, maybe even in Jesus, listening to me, right? You believe you're here at church on a Sunday morning. But it's not enough for us to believe that these things are true, to believe that God sent his son into the world. The Bible says, I think it's in the book of James, even the devils believe and shudder. Even the devils believe and, and, and tremble, okay? It's more than belief. You've got to have an encounter with God. And an encounter with God means... That God, that we're open to God's presence, we're open to his word, to internalizing that word in our lives that can challenge my thinking and my seeing so that I can make my way in the world, that I can do whatever it is that God has called me to do. Okay, that's what we're talking about. We talk about an encounter with God. Where we catch up with Jacob here, where we're going to look at his first 
major encounter, Genesis chapter 28. Jacob is on the run, not really ready for an encounter with God. It catches him off guard. He's on the run, if you were here last week, because first in chapter 25, he bargained away his brother's birthright, which, what is the birthright? It's, it was, in this culture, it was the extra double blessing that the firstborn child got from his parents, a double set of the estate, the bigger bedroom, the college, or, you know, uh, education, whatever the case may be. Jacob bargained this away, so he burned his brother against him, and then in the chapter we didn't read just before this one, he dresses up like his brother, deceives his blind father, and gets the blessing of his father that was really, really belonged, at least in this culture, once again, the birthright and the blessing go together to his older brother. So Jacob gets what he wanted, but then is on the run from the one place where these two things actually, it's like having money. If I gave you all this money, right, let's say it was an American currency, and then I put you on a plane and I send you somewhere else, right, and you can't use the money there. So of no value to you, right? That's kind of what happened to Jacob. He, he bargained for the birthright. He deceived his way into the blessing. But then, because he broke these relationships, right, with both his brother and his father, he's on the run out of the promised land, which is the only place these blessings actually uh, have value from everything that he knows. So this is where we catch Jacob on the run. Yet it's here on the run, right, from everything that he actually meets God, okay? He meets God and has, what I'm titling this sermon, a great awakening. Genesis 28, follow along as I read these first seven verses or, seven, or 10 through 17, the great awakening, Jacob and his dream. Jacob left Beersheba, okay, out of, on his way out of the promised land and set out for Haran, when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a staircase, stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord. The God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac, I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. The great awakening. First thing that Jacob learns in his encounter with God is that heaven is open for business. Heaven is open for business. Now this, this story that we just read, this account, is 
um, one of the most well-known accounts, one of the most well-known, you might say, visions or, or stories in all of the Bible, maybe the top, you know, 10, even people who aren't Christians, you know, like they can tell you certain stories, like, you know, the, the parting of the Red Sea, you know, or the feeding of the 5,000. This would be one of those stories, very famous in art throughout the history of the last uh, several thousand years. But what's interesting is the real surprise of this passage is not this vision. It only actually takes one verse, verse 12. The next three verses are the real surprise, which is that God at all even shows up to, not only shows up to this fugitive, right, who's just deceived his brother and his family's on the run, not only that he shows up to him, but he doesn't show up to him, as I would think if it was me, to say, oh, you're, you, now it's time to make an accounting for what you've just done. Get ready for the judgments and the condemnation. You're going to pay for your deception, right? He's not, he's not coming to terms with his bad behavior. God shows up to this man and blesses him. Not only reiterates the blessings that he gave to his father Isaac and to his grandfather Abraham. That would be enough. But then verse 15, he says, he says things that he never said to any of those two men. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to carry you all the way through. I'm going to bless you. And I will do everything I said to you. And I will make sure that even though you're going on this journey, you're going to come back and experience the blessing that I promised you. Okay. Now, what do we know about Jacob in this moment? That's the real surprise. Heaven is open for business. Jacob is not running to God. Okay. I've just based on what I have in the biblical record. I can't read his mind. But he's not running to God. Everything this family knew about who God was at this point. Remember, don't get ahead of the story. It's all about the promised land. It's all connected to a geography, right? This great land, they are there. Abraham has been living there. Isaac has been living there. This is where God is in a manner of speaking. If you leave the promised land, if you go outside of the promised land, you're outside of in a manner of speaking, in the mindset of this, uh, the ancient Near East, you're going outside of God's blessing. But here Abraham, or excuse me, Jacob is, he's, going, he's running away, and every, if anything, he's running away from God. We don't, he doesn't know, as far as you know, that much about God. Yes, he's heard the story of Isaac and the story of Abraham. Yes, he believes in God, I would imagine. He wouldn't have, he wouldn't have manipulated and tried to get the blessing if he didn't believe that God existed. He saw the material blessing of his father, Isaac, was a rich man. His grandfather, Abraham, was a rich man. Materially speaking, he saw the blessings. But did he know God? I don't think so, right? And when he comes here, this is the Bible's way of telling us something, right? When he reached a certain place, okay, so that's a fancy way of saying, what does a certain place? Eventually, of course, this certain place is called Bethel, and it becomes, a, let's say, a holy site by the end of the chapter, right? And then much later on into the history of Israel, it becomes a holy site, but it doesn't start that way. You know, when, when, the, when, you know when, when the Mayflower landed on Plymouth Rock, it wasn't called Plymouth Rock. There wasn't a museum there, right? It was nothing. It became Plymouth Rock generations later. That's what happened here. It's a certain place. And the only reason there's no, it's indistinct. The only reason he goes here is because he's run out of daylight, verse 11, right? That's the only reason. And if he's using a stone as a pillow, it tells you he doesn't have anything more than the clothes on his back. This wasn't a great, this wasn't a grand plan. This wasn't an Airbnb, okay? This is, a, this is, this is another way of saying the middle of nowhere, okay? Jacob is in the middle of nowhere. Not just geographically, okay? 
Think about your life and my life. Heaven is open for business. There's a lesson here for us. Not just geographically. He's got no money. He's got no prospects. Listen, he doesn't know it yet, but he'll never see his mother again. And he'll never see his brother or his father for over 20 years. Okay? This isn't a weekend away. This isn't a day to clear his head. Okay? He's on the run. He's having, if we were writing the story today, if I was reading this in the, in, in the paper today, right? If I was writing this story about me, about you, we'd say Jason, J, uh, Jacob is having an existential crisis. Okay? What's an existential crisis? An existential crisis, fancy words to say, that are feelings that I have, feelings that you have, right? True feelings that overwhelm us when we wonder whether or not our life has any meaning anymore, whether or not our life has any purpose anymore. We call that an existential crisis. Why do I think Jacob's having an existential crisis? Because everything about the blessing and the birthright, which he spent his whole life trying to commandeer, they only have value in the promised land, and he is now leaving the promised land, for the, and it turns out to be 21 years because of his broken relationship with his brother and his father. He's having an existential crisis, okay? But in this moment, heaven is open for business. This is what's so beautiful. In this not only vulnerable place, a certain place, in other words, the middle of nowhere, but even a vulnerable state, Jacob has a dream. He's sleeping. I mean, I don't think you get much more vulnerable. In this vulnerable place, in this vulnerable state, God Almighty pulls back the curtain of reality. That's what this vision is. He pulls back the curtain. God didn't say, oh, listen, turn on the film strip. I want to impress my, my servant. Turn the film strip on of the angels. No, God says, listen. He's having what we might call, if you know this story, a chariots of fire moment. You know that story? 2 Kings 6, if you want it to be a note taker. When Elisha the prophet who's this courageous man, and he wakes up and he's surrounded by the army of the Syrians, and his servant is freaking out. He says, oh my, you know, Lord, I don't, I don't want to press you. I don't want to bug you. I don't, but he says, we're in deep trouble. The armies of, of, the, of the Syrians are all around us. And then Elisha, cool as a cucumber, says, listen, the, 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 those who are with us are more than those who are against us. And this guy looks at him like, what planet are you from? What are you talking about? It's you and me. And it's hundreds, if not thousands, of, of Arameans with swords. And then he says, and Elisha prayed and said, Lord, open his eyes. And he opened his eyes, and he saw the chariots of fire. He saw the army of God in a manner of speaking. God pulled back the curtain of reality. That's what's happening here to Jacob. And let me say this, too. You know, we... we we, we, we get so much of our, our understanding of a lot of things through popular culture and not from the word of God. I don't know if you've seen visions of this paintings of Genesis chapter 28. I, I certainly don't know exactly what was there, but when I look, put the whole biblical record together, it's not this ladder with you know, a couple angels going up and down it. Okay? It's a stairway. My sense is, scholar's sense is, it's as if Jacob is looking up and the entire horizon, the entire horizon 
is a, is, is, is a staircase, almost like you were, a, you were a small dog and you're in front of, I don't know, capital steps or something. In other words, the entire horizon is stairs. And it's not two angels, okay? The angels of God, there are perhaps thousands of them. Revelation chapter 5, just as an example. And the throne room of God, it says this. And it was surrounded by angels. And it gives you a number, 10,000 times 10,000. You know what 10,000 times 10,000 is? I didn't know, but I you know, took out my calculator and figured it out. A hundred million. What are all those angels for? I mean, yes, I guess they're singing praise to God, but let me tell you what you, they're doing in the Bible, right? Be of good cheer. Don't be afraid. I've sent to give you good news. To, to, there will be joy for all people. Mary, God, you have, you've been heavily favored with... In other words, the angels are God's messengers, what angel is, sending forth the word of God to the people of God all throughout the course of time. That's what Jacob is seeing. Okay? Heaven is open. Heaven has to do with earth and the people of God, for the people of God, you can count on heaven's resources. That's what he's seeing. God's pulling back the curtain. Of re- He's saying, listen, look at his great awakening, verse 16. He's listen, God is in this place. God is in my life, and I wasn't aware of it. I didn't know God had anything to do with us down here. I didn't know God was engaged in what was going on down here. God knows me. God loves me. This is awesome. That's what he's saying in Genesis 16, or excuse me, in, in, in verse 16, right? Do you have that moment? Do I have that moment? Heaven is open for business. You say, Rob, do you? I do have those moments. Okay, not as dramatic. I've never had a vision like this. But let me tell you, I have these moments. God is here. God knows me. God loves me. And this is awesome. Very often reading the word of God itself, I have those moments. Or sometimes it's a phone call. Sometimes it's an email. Sometimes a, a number of times in my life, critical moments, I'll get a check in the mail. I'll get a phone call for something that met a very significant need in my life that only God could have known about. But I have one story that I, that I always come back to. Heaven is open for business. I, was, I, I, that, that I come back to remind myself of this great truth. I was in... Um, in my, in, my, in my year in serving in Kosovo. Now, I was, in a, I was kind of, speaking of a foreign country, speaking of in the middle of nowhere. In a country, I didn't speak the language. It was Muslim, so as a Christian missionary, you, you weren't getting very far. I mean, it was, it was really ground zero. People didn't really want to even hear what you had to say. It, took, it was just about, hello, how, how are you doing? Can we give you some help? So I was in a country, didn't speak the language, was a foreign culture, and then I was there in a war, post-war situation. I was in over my head when it came to the emotional trauma that was there. So everything about my preparation um, uh, was, did very little good for me. And I remember finding myself in these homes, and we'd, we'd, we'd run out of things to say very quickly. There was always great hospitality, but the only thing we could do was say, is there anything way we can pray for you? Because nobody says no to prayer. And they know, so yes. And we, pray, we would just pray for whatever they asked us to pray for, anything. And then we'd leave. And I'd always remember leaving some of these homes thinking, what am I doing here? This is a waste of time. I mean, these people don't care what we have to say. And we, we have so little connection with them. 
But one day while I was there, first four or five months I was there, I get a knock at the door, this young guy. And he comes to me and he said, listen, Esau was the name of this uh, man that we had spent some time with. He said, asked me to come and get you. He's got something very important. Please come. So we come. We get to his house. But in this time, instead of going into the house to sit down and have a cup of coffee, he walks us out to behind his house to this apple orchard. All these blossoms on all these trees. And we're kind of stunned. That's what we had prayed for. And he said, listen, God has answered your prayer. Because when they had devastated this village through all this war situation, even their crops were devastated. That's what he wanted us to pray for. But here's the funny thing. He looked at us. He was more confident of God's answer to prayer than we were. He said, God has answered your prayer. The Lord is in this place. And I didn't know it. Right? God is here. Heaven is open for business. Okay, that's what I learned. What does it mean for you to have an encounter with God? Very quickly. Number one. You're surprised by his love and grace, okay? It doesn't have to be a, you know, angelic visitor. You're surprised. Do you think Jacob thought that if he was going to meet God, it was going to be a blessing? Oh, my goodness. He thought the exact opposite. He was on the run. He was a fugitive, right? That's, he, he was, he, that's not what he expected. Surprised by God's love and grace, your, you, your heart in, hears promises and internalizes them. Jacob's life changes. The world didn't change. He heard God's promises, verse 15. He internalized them, and it gave him a strength and a vision to live his life in a whole different way. But let me say this about Jacob in this moment. Before he could meet God, number one, he had to lose his disguise. (laughs) You have to read chapter 27. See, Jacob had to take off the disguise he was wearing, and he had to get vulnerable not only in a certain place, but in this case, even in sleep. Heaven is open for business. Second, Jesus is the business of heaven. Jesus is the business of heaven. Let me say a couple quick things. As I say, the vision's only one verse. The promises of God are three. But it says there, verse 13, above it stood the Lord. But I think in my footnotes and perhaps in yours, it's not really above it. My footnote says, beside it, okay? God was not at the top of this vision, way the heck up there. How could Jacob see it? There was these angels coming up and down. Right beside him was the Lord, okay? Right beside him was the Lord. And in this, why does Jacob have this awakening moment? I was afraid, and I said, how awesome is this place? In this, Jacob makes a profound discovery, Okay? A profound discovery that results in his spiritual awakening. And here's the profound discovery. We don't go to God. God comes to us. This is what makes Christianity so unique. We don't go to God. God comes to us. That's what Jacob realizes. God was in this place and I was unaware of it. Right? God doesn't say, listen, climb this ladder. You know, here's the Ten Commandments. Here's the five pillars. You know, here's the 20 things you need to do. Make your way to God. No, God says, listen, I come to you. You know, preachers like me will say, maybe you've heard this before. You know, the, the, the key of the Bible is the gospel. And the gospel is everywhere. And even Jesus said this. If you remember that famous story, I think it's at the end of Luke. He's walking with his disciples. Remember, when Jesus is walking with his disciples, there's no such thing as the New Testament. There's just the Old Testament. 
And Jesus is, and, 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 and these, these disciples are discouraged. They say, we thought this guy, Jesus, Jesus is hidden. He's sort of cloaked or, or disguised in a manner of speaking, Luke 24. And Jesus is walking with him and, they, and he goes, why are you guys so depressed? And he said, well, we're depressed because, you know, we, we, um, we thought Jesus was the one. We thought he was, the, this man named Jesus was, was, the, was the prophet, most promised one. And he just got killed and they crucified him. And then Jesus says, are you so slow to believe? And then he did this. He said he began with Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, and he taught them all of these things concerning himself. So you want to know the secret of the Old Testament, right? It's me. Look what Jesus does here, John chapter 1, just a couple verses. When Jesus meets his disciples, okay, they're trying to figure out who he is. You know what he does? He goes back to Genesis 28. He's meeting with these disciples, Peter and Andrew, and then this guy named Philip brings his friend Nathaniel. They're all saying, come and see Jesus. This guy speaks. No one spoke like this guy. He's amazing. He's introducing them to Jesus. And Jesus sees Nathaniel, if you know this story, coming. And they'd never met each other. And Jesus says, behold, an Israelite in whom there is no guile. In other words, here's a man of integrity. Imagine if I said that, someone said that to you. you think, wow, where did that come from? Right? And, and Nathaniel says, how do you know me? And he says, well, I saw you when you were under the fig tree. Scholars wonder, what was he doing under the fig tree? <laughs> That's another sermon, right? I saw you when you were under the fig tree. And Nathanael says in these verses, you're the son of God, you're the king of Israel. Like, wow, Jesus says these words. You believe me because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things. That's nothing, buddy. Then he added, very truly I tell you, listen carefully, you will see heaven open. And the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, he's referencing this very famous moment in Genesis 28. But watch what he does. Jesus is the master teacher. You will see heaven open and the angels of God descending on the Son of Man. It's kind of a botched metaphor. On the Son of Man. No, you mean the stairway, don't you? No. You will see heaven open. Yeah, we remember that great story. You'll see the angels of God ascending and descending on me. Because Jesus Christ, heaven is open for business. Jesus is the business of heaven. Jesus doesn't point people to God. He's not Muhammad. He's not Buddha. He's not, you know, the pastor. He doesn't point people to God. He is God. He is the way to God. You shall see the angels of God ascending and descending on me. And he's saying this in so many words. Any place, this is wild. This is why it's a certain place. Any place is the gate of heaven to the person who's open to the possibility and the presence of God. See, Jacob thinks he made a great discovery. Jacob thinks, wow, how did I just land on this place? Of all places, how lucky that I happened to stop and get tired here. This is the gate of heaven. Well, okay, for you it is today, right? But the truth is, any place is the gate. Your kitchen's the gate of heaven. Your, your car is the gate of heaven. Your basement is the gate of heaven. Listen, your marriage is the gate of heaven to anyone who believes in the possibility and the presence of God. Listen, the whole world, in a manner of speaking, right, is having an existential moment. Maybe God slowed the whole world down. Listen, maybe God slowed your life down 
so that you or I would have an encounter with him. What happens to Jacob, Jacob opens up his heart, right? Genesis 28. Wow, I, never, I can't believe God is here. Jacob's heart is opened up. His mind is blown. Think about this very carefully. Not because of material blessings. Everything that's material, he's leaving behind him in this story because it's all about the promised land. He doesn't get back there for 20 years. But he's blown away. Even though he left the boat behind, the car behind, the bedroom behind, all of that's behind, he's blown away because he learned something about God about what's really important. Everything that he'd been chasing after was the unimportant. Let me ask you this. If I, had a, if I was um, all-powerful, and I said to you, I'm going to give you three choices right now. It's up to you. You can take any one of these three. $10 million, choice A. B, your three greatest problems, whatever they are, maybe you got cancer, maybe your marriage is on the rocks, maybe whatever, your kid's sick. Your three greatest problems will be eliminated. That's B. And C is, you can have, I promise you, absolutely guaranteed, the presence of God in your life 24-7 and God's protection in this world. Now, I don't know what you'd choose or what I'd choose in any season of my life, but here, Jacob finally chooses C because this is really what life is all about. Heaven is open for business. Jesus is the business of heaven. And what he learns to do Here's my last point, is he learns to live out of the dream. And what happens in the dream, 15 through 17? The promises of God come to him. He learns to live out of the dream, live out of the vision. See, eventually, in 2 Kings 6, after the servant was blown away, then he says, God, you can go ahead and pull the curtain back. The curtain gets pulled back. Now you've got to go to war, but you see, the reality didn't change. And Elisha and the servant said, now, now what you need to do, young student, is you need to learn how to live out of that reality. The reality didn't change. God didn't stop the movie clip. It wasn't a movie clip. It was real. He said, now I want you to just bank that, and I want you to live out of that reality. That's what we're talking. Watch how this ends. Verse 20, or verse 18. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and he poured oil on top of it. And he called the place Bethel, though the city had been called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow. Okay, he got religion in a good way. Saying, if God will be with me and watch over me, this is the real gold. Over this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I'll return safely to my father's house. Then the Lord will be my God. And this stone I have set up as a pillar will be God's house and all that you give me, I will give a tenth, right? Jacob wakes up, listen very carefully, we're almost done. He doesn't wake up to a new world. The world's still full of problems and conflict and disease and trouble. He doesn't wake up to a new world, but his vision of the world has changed because he says, verse 16, God is here and I didn't know it. And God is with me. His presence is with me. And if God is here and God's presence is with me, there's nothing I can't do. Listen, the same thing is said of every person in this room. I, am never, I will never leave you or forsake you. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. See, those 
realities are already yours if you're a Christian. But do you live out of those things? That's the question for you. And that's the question for me. Now Jacob finds the world of his dream promises more convincing than the world of fear and guilt. See, that's the, that's the challenge. You and I live in the same world of fear and guilt that he did. Every one of us does. There's only, there's, you know, there's, there's only this one world. It's this one. Until God changes things in the future. But we're called now not to go, you know, uh, um, you know, uh, quarantine ourselves in a manner of speaking to go live in some bubble to some you know kind of batten the hatches until Jesus comes back no he says I'm call- I'm sending you into the world and yes the world is full of uh, you know as Martin Luther said you know demons full you know <laughs> yes the world is 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 a broken place I understand that put your helmet on remember the vision that I gave you the chariots of fire the angels coming up and down I am with you let's go do something okay you need to learn to live out of the dream, but you got to answer the question. See, some of us, I think, maybe, maybe me, maybe you, I'm taking the 10 million. <laughs> I'm taking, oh, if I can just get rid of these three problems, I'm gonna, that's all I need. That's all I want from you, God. Fix my marriage, fix my job, and fix my health, or whatever it is. I'm good. But Jacob says that ain't the right answer. Give me God's presence. Give me God's protection and now I can go do something with my life this is what question I want to leave you with okay I just want you to think about this we're going to pray this is the question of Genesis 28 what would you do tomorrow that you didn't do yesterday that you have the courage to do today maybe what would you do tomorrow think about it really think about it if you were convinced convinced of God's presence Verse 15 is for you. If you are convinced of God's presence and convinced of God's protection, what would you do tomorrow that you're not doing today? Let's pray. God and Father, thank you for this time this morning. We love you. And God, we just come to you humbly. I'm so grateful. The sinner that I am, the the, uh, human being that I am, the man in process that I am, that heaven is is open for business. That, Lord, you come to me, I don't go to you, and you say, I love you, I'm with you, I'm for you, I died for you, let's go do something together. We thank you, I thank you, that Jesus is the business of heaven. And as my Lord and my Savior, Lord, you can bring heaven to my life, our lives, that we might, in a manner of speaking, live out of these promises, live a different kind of life, buried with him in the likeness of his death and risen to a whole new way of life, one that is characterized by a kind of confidence in Jesus, characterized by a kind of courage that comes with God's presence, and characterized by a kind of Lord, um, fearlessness in a manner of speaking. Confidence that comes with knowing, Lord, that your, we, our lives are in your hands. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.